Ha. <laughs> oh, it's good to know I'm not the only one who does that. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally, with a global perspective, and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains, transit, adventures, and life hacks. And today... Uncharted territory. Dun dun dun. <laughs> By which I mean biking through uncharted territory. Dun dun dun. <laughs> That's right. We've got today in the virtual studio. We have my oldest brother, the only one that hasn't been on the show yet. Um, Tito Flores, how's it going? Hey, bro. It's going well. I like the uh, music there, the dun-dun-dun from Guthrie. <laughs> yeah. Guthrie is, uh, is in charge of incidental music. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, as oh, often sorry. as I can think of it. <laughs> it's better than a board with a button where you just hit different buttons that you might happen to have the right one ready. So I like this better. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, I talked right there with you. <laughs> As Guthrie starts pushing the buttons. <laughs> nice. Challenge <Yes>. accepted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is inaugural, then. This is this is yes. extra special. Yes. Yeah. I, I was, you know, jokingly always giving Aaron a hard time for me never being on. But actually, I feel kind of special in that I get to be on after a ride we put together first and then went and did it so yeah i'm excited about that's, that that's true you might be the well no dan and i actually did a ride together yeah. but this might be the only time where uh, i've had a brother on let's see how how well i can qualify this <laughs> <laughs> uh, i've had a brother on where we came up with the ride um from scratch yes yeah something to that effect exactly came up with the ride from scratch or turned something that was conceptually insane into reality (laughs) yes it was no other brother has done that and on the show (laughs) right there we go i think that's qualified well enough (laughs) um should we should we just head right into it? Uh, we'll talk about what exactly happened. Yeah, it's up to you how you want to do it. If that works, we can go like kind of right from the get-go in the beginning. I can start with the beginning, and then maybe you take it from there. Sure. Let's let's start right out from the gate. What were you thinking? So <laughs> what it, was going through your head? That's a good question. <laughs> of what was I thinking? So last year I got. Uh, a road slash cross bike for the first time outside of my 15 year old mountain bike that was mostly used for pretend mountain biking where I was really on more pavement than off road with my mountain bike. 
but it did the job. I first bought it as a commuter bike uh, in 2006-ish, and it got me to and from work. It was good. And last year, back, you know, fast forward now, like 14, 15 years, last year I bought my first kind of road bike, but it was a cross bike. And then I went from that in June to my first 100-mile ride in the back north uh, national forest of um, the Copper Basin in Idaho. And that wasn't just a 100-mile ride, though. Jeez, it was 100 miles with like 5,500 feet of elevation gain. You topped out at like 8,200 feet. I ran out of oxygen, food, water, (laughs) um, and mental stability. (laughs) And none of it was paved, though, either, right? Uh, Like... um, Total of like 24 miles were paved. The first 12 out and then the last 12 back because it wasn't okay. there. But yeah, um, you can barely count that because the, the, the crying part was all the unpaved <laughs> at 8,000 feet. Right. Yeah. Anyways, I finished all that and said, I want to do this again somehow. And um, I thought, I want to ride to my father-in-law's house in Plains. And from my house in Missoula is like a 90-mile ride by traditional highway use. Right. Which would mean the main highways from Missoula to Plains that you normally would take in a car. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And, you know, we we go to visit my in-laws every um, month or so, or my father-in-law every month or so. And every time we go, since I had it in my head, I was like, okay, where are the places I need to worry about not getting hit by a driver who's not paying attention or a semi-truck with two trailers, you know, pulling two trailers in the back. Yeah, it's worth noting. So from Missoula, (laughs) Montana to Plains, you said it was like 90 miles, but it's mostly highway? It's all highway and a lot of two-lane highway. So when I say two-lane highway, it's two-lane highway. And in Montana, that means um, like 65 miles an hour for a lot of that. And nobody's looking. So 65 really means whatever you want to do. Right. There, there used to be, I don't know if this still applies, but there used to be an, uh, an old law where like, if you were speeding, it was like a $5 ticket or something like that. Oh, really? Something really minor. So there was like zero incentive to stay within the speed limit. Yes. It was Montana's like, uh, flipping off of the U S government. Cause the U S government said you had to have a speed limit. <laughs> If you wanted the U.S. government's um, funding for mm-hmm. the states. Oh, okay. So, so they had a speed limit, but they if you got busted, as Aaron says, if you got ticketed for, for speeding, you didn't get ticketed for speeding, you got ticketed for wasting resources. And because it wasn't a speeding violation, it was a waste of resources violation. One, they could make it whatever amount they wanted, so they made it $5. And two, they because it was a waste in resources, you could only technically be fined once per 24 hour period. So, Oh my gosh. I didn't know that part. Yes. You could pay the the police officer $5 on the spot. He'll give you the paid ticket back in return. And that way, if you got pulled over a second or third time that day, like officer, I already paid my fine for (laughs) resources today. I'm good to continue wasting. I already got my speeding permit. Sometimes you have to laugh because already cried too much this week (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Goodness. Is that so? Is that still on the books? Is that still the way? Oh, okay. No, no. So that this is kind of old day. This is like early '90s when it ended. Uh, mid '90s, I think it ended in the mid '90s. And uh, so now it's like on the freeways. It's like 75 or 80, depending on how close you are to the wow. cities. And then, except at nighttime, it drops like. 10, 10 miles an hour or 20 miles an hour at night. So you have a daytime speed and a nighttime speed. Okay. So we digress, but uh, I think to the point of there's a lot of traffic on these roads that um, are, are sharing, you know, sharing a two lane highway and everyone's going fast in both directions and not a lot of shoulder. So that was what I was kind of getting at is. So every time, since I had this thought last summer, uh, every time we'd go on that route, I'd try to find and think of all the dangerous spots where, like, okay, where do I really need to worry? And it really came down to about like six to seven miles of treacherous, not a single shoulder, a lot of turns, nowhere yeah. to go but off a cliff or into the river or get hit by a car. Right. There's like a couple blind turns where yes. you are in, you've got no choice if you're riding. A bicycle you're gonna be in the lane mm. um, yes and even if nobody's coming up behind you oncoming traffic could easily cross that mm. that uh middle what am i trying to say the middle line there and, yeah. and come at you that's like your yeah. motorcycle conundrum in a sense mm-hmm. yes yeah and, and so i really was uneasy of this whole idea of like I have this really strong feeling of I want to make this bike ride to Plains. And at the same time, I had this uneasy feeling of like, this just something doesn't feel right. So I decided to invite my brother Aaron to come with me. Because, <laughs> you know, if I'm going to die, I'm going to take someone with me. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather be with family. <laughs> well, that, that might be a more truistic <laughs> No, um, I was like, well, if Aaron's in the back, he can get hit first. <laughs> that's all right. I've and I know he's coming. <laughs> Is that the, that's like the freeway adaptation of Bear in the Woods. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. But said but slightly little... glib, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. No, I think uh, if if nothing else, I'm like, concerned about you, know. you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very dark version of self-preservation. Well, yeah. Well, uh, safety in numbers is maybe yes. a, a, a better way of putting it. <laughs> well, and to add to it, I saw some um, tour bikers late last summer who used, I don't know if I can explain it, but like a swim noodle, which is this like foam six foot yeah, long pool piece noodle. Of, yeah. Yeah. A pool noodle. Yeah. So it looks like a, a piece of pipe or a piece of hose, but it's like stiff styrofoam or stiff foam. Mm hmm. And I yeah, saw that. I wonder if that was that was our friends Eric and Annalisa. I don't know. That, they're kind of famous for using that. Oh, okay. So they had it tied, I mean, so there was like a two foot barrier. You had to get around that. I mean, nothing would happen to your car if you hit yeah. it, but it definitely got you to get around it. So I thought, well, yeah, I'll it's like Aaron a, in the back, and I'll have Aaron using the noodle tied to the back of his bike. <laughs> I'll be safe. <laughs> So, 
Um, I, I guess to, to fast forward these things along, finally got the, I think the gumption that I really was going to do this. It's going to happen. And then now oh, this is probably like May of this year. And I give Aaron a call and out of nowhere, Aaron just says, well, why don't we take this route? And the OC. I, I was looking at satellite pictures as you were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, the, the red flag that came up to me was we're going to be on the highway most of the time. Yes. And that's not necessarily a disqualifier for me, but it automatically like brings up this question in my head of how, how do we do it or can we do it without being on the highway at all, much less the whole way, you know, or even part of the way. Um, so as you're explaining, like, how you want to get there, I'm looking at satellite pictures from Google Earth, and it was just a quick um, sort of Google bike directions, and it gave me the path that you were talking about, right? Yeah, that, um, I, was, yeah, that I was going to bring up, but you brought it up first, and I was like, huh. I thought I'd bring Aaron because, it, I mean, in, in real honesty, all joking aside, I thought I'd bring Aaron because two things. One, he's done this kind of road biking a lot more than I have and across a lot more miles. So maybe he can give me some insights about how do we not get hit. And two, that safety and numbers mentality. Like, look, if there's two of us, it's easier for somebody to see two bikes. They yeah. might miss one. They'll see the other one and get around both of us. So. But the fact of like inviting you actually brought an outside of the box thinking. It really messed with my head at first. Like my OCD <laughs> was like, no, no, no. I've got to do the route that cars would do, so I can say I did what I wanted to do. And it had to be this particular it really route. After we got off the phone, to accept that this is still what I want, and that's a bike ride to Plains. And I did not realize that that was like a, a issue for you. That's why I was quiet. Yeah. <laughs> mm, tour dynamics. <laughs> well, and uh, so with that, was it just the comfortability of riding on paved surface or, you know, because from how Aaron described it to me, um, the route that you ended up on was definitely like, it was a, it was a pretty, it was a pretty impressive route. Um, you know, so it sounds... <laughs> Like you got almost the complete contrast of, of what that highway path would have been at the end of the day. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, it just was, there's something in my brain about, I have to do what I've been driving in a car for 25, 26 years back and forth to my in-laws house. I think it was more that than the cement part or yeah. the, but uh, not okay. yeah. Gotcha. Maybe just, just knowing the route. Yeah. Not so familiar with it. Yeah. yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. The comfortability factor is certainly nice. Definitely, yeah. Total the comfort, like the devil you know versus the devil you don't know kind of comfort factor. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know all these cars could kill me in an instant, but I know what they're capable of doing. I don't know what's <laughs> beyond the borders of Aaron's route. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Lions you and got tigers an idea of what to oh expect versus, yeah, versus like the the uh, limits of your own imagination which is pretty unlimited when it comes to you know what's going to eat me or what's going to you know uh, definitely yeah you know whatever it is out in the middle of nowhere so we uh, that said i 
I think I slept maybe two hours before we really? started off riding. Yeah, that night before. It was just tossing and turning. We'll we'll get back to that though. <laughs> <laughs> we can start getting that direction because that's you know, basically, you know, like I said, it took me that night to figure or to like come to terms that this is really a good route. And once I did, I once I came to those terms, I went from mm-hmm. coming to terms to it just completely convinced like this is really the only route for us to do. This We've got a way to do way. it. Yes, ah. this is the way to do it. I want I want to know what what the process was, how you were able to to go from one one end of the spectrum to the other. <laughs> to the other? Um I so two things. One is Michelle's cousin is a police officer in the nearby county that actually uses a lot of those roads or those roads are under his jurisdiction, so to speak. Oh, okay. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but uh talked to him and when he was like, Yeah, those are those are actually decent roads. Cars can go up and down them. They normally don't, but he's you know, just getting the idea that okay, we're not gonna find ourselves on like a what's really meant for a walking trail and there's no way our bikes are gonna do this. Yeah. And if for some reason we are in big trouble, somebody will come by at some point. And so when I kind of got that from him a couple days later, I was I definitely just was able to say, okay, this is it. And it's off this freeway, highway um, deal where, you know, in the end, I think we only had maybe, you know, the last 10 miles or so where really we were on a highway that was busy with fast yeah. traffic. So. Even then, the the road miles we did at that point – they, they, there was a pretty decent shoulder yeah. at the second that we rode. I didn't mind that as much. Right. So, um, yeah. And I knew, and I knew enough of that that I knew there would be a shoulder there. Um, yeah. For for us to, at the very minimum, go single lane and feel comfortable about cars getting around us, so even with oncoming traffic. For our for our listeners, just to sort of picture it here, describe the overall route. Um, it's its origination, its destination, and its yeah. intention. Uh, just c- to t- try to get a feel for it here. Yeah, so we started in Missoula, which is the the west side of Montana, and we, you know, we really were on city streets for a little bit. That got us onto kind of country roads or not really used highways. Um, and I purposely didn't take like the most direct route to the the national forest we were going to. I went kind of around a mountain called Blue Mountain. So it would be like northwest of Missoula. And we started going north. Plains is um, that 90 miles or for us, it was we, we actually cut the corner. So we, it was 75 miles northwest of Missoula. So we were going in a northwest direction. Well, first we started and just went through the west edge of, of Missoula so that I could get Aaron kind of up and above the city. And we could see the city to our right, um, have a nice fun little downhill. And then we rode like another 10 miles to um, to a town called Frenchtown. And that took us to this kind of little bike running trail that got us west, going west until Lolo National Forest. And then the yeah. bulk of our ride was Lolo National Forest, um, which was like nine mile and, and road 412, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it was road 412. Yeah. And that yeah. was and the bulk of our ride. I want to I wanna point out something how that whole area um 
when I had visited there last and then this this time around, I've noticed um, the amount of uh, walking and biking infrastructure that's, you know, set aside separate from from driving infrastructure um, all around Missoula, the city. But then, I mean, we were a good, what, 20 miles out and we still had that that path to ourselves away from any kind yeah and that of path went we rode that path for quite a while maybe seven or eight miles farther away from the city and and it when we started on that path 20 miles away from the city so yeah yeah you're yeah, right was, I, I feel like missoula and missoula county has done a really good job of of um catering to runners walkers bikers even longboarders you see a lot of longboarders on those oh cool. those uh, off-road trails yeah yeah so, yeah. Um, so then, like I was saying, we took the bulk of our trek on Lolo National Forest. And then um, when we ended there, we popped out in a place called uh, Quinn's Hot Springs, which is this kind of resort um, resort hotel, but it's cabins. It's not really a hotel. It's just a bunch of cabins. And uh, that's when we got on the road and we were on the road to a town called Paradise, Hmm. which was seven miles from uh, planes and then got into planes after that. So that's so, kind of the overall route. Okay. Um, so it was one, you did all in one stretch. There was no camping in between. No, we didn't camp. In between. Okay. No, we woke up. So Aaron and I woke up at around like five thirty in the morning and we were on the road before six. Yeah. We were, we were started riding before 6am and we nice. finished by about three thirty, three or three thirty. I can't remember. Nice. Yeah, that that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was it was quite interesting. It was it was a fun, interesting ride. I, the ride started where it was kind of cloudy, and that first twenty miles, it rained off and on. And um, hold on, just a second. sorry about that. It rained off and on, and it um, really was like bringing me down. And it seemed like as soon as we got off that bike path that Aaron and I were talking about and got into going towards um, uh, the Lolo National Forest. So it, it actually it actually technically goes six-mile road, nine-mile road, 412. But as soon as we turned onto this six-mile road, which I don't know I don't know if we ever knew the difference. Aaron and I never really had to do anything no. after we got into six-mile <laughs> But literally, we got into six mile, and it was kind of like the the uh, scene from um, from the Fellowship of the Rings when Samwise and Frodo are leaving uh, the Shire. And I think Frodo says, "This is the farthest I've ever been from the Shire. This next step will be, you know, the farthest I've ever been." And I felt like that. And but nice. it was a good moment because. The rain stopped, the clouds broke up into blue sky, and like my mood followed it. And I was just like, this is the ride. This is exactly what I wanted. This is what I, not only the, the weather, but somehow the weather brought the mood on that I like, uh, the feeling of just a fun ride with my, my bro. So, yeah. <laughs> and then we had great weather the rest of the time. Almost too hot, but uh, we'll get there. <laughs> and, and then, in, just like in Lord of the Rings, you you stayed off the road. You, you, you got off. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> there was no choice. There was no road. <laughs> Maybe a little Back to the Future roads. 
where we're going. We don't need roads. <laughs> we don't need them, and we're not going to get them anyway. So yeah. I'm curious for the, the non-roadism. Uh, Aaron, you brought over the Red Haramong horses. Correct. That's actually the first time I've ever flown with that bike. Yeah, uh, and I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about how your experience with that went. And I'm also curious, um, given that when you do travel, oftentimes you're taking the Brompton. Um, was this a Brompton-capable ride in retrospect, or are you pretty happy with the choices you made? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're out there just going way. over potholes being like, sweet, I totally could have rode my Brompton over this. <laughs> May- or maybe um, the question I should I'm, ask, was it more of a Pugsley ride? <laughs> it is. So I think I've said this uh, when we kind of crashed the party last time um, when I was still in Montana. um but yeah. I would definitely do this again, but I would take the Pugsley next time. Um, Does the Pugsley have fatter tires than the bike you brought? Oh, yeah. It's like okay. 3.8 versus oh, uh, wow. what, okay. yeah, what's on mine is like... A, like two? Uh, almost, not quite. Yeah, 1.8. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Fine. Honestly, flying with the bike was uh, a lot more simple than I thought it was going to be, which is cool. Um, Anybody who's never done that, just don't tape up the box before you fly with it. Um, Leave it, leave, well, the top anyways, you want to tape up the bottom. Uh, Leave the top open because they're going to cut it open and inspect it anyways. Were they pretty chill with having a little bit of extra in there? Yeah. I would say the hardest part about flying was just three or four times putting it in the box, bringing it back out, putting it back in the box, bringing it back out, making sure like everything's fitting just just so. Um, but as far as the logistics of getting it from the airport, you know, into TSA's hands, no problem at all. Oh, getting it to the airport was an issue, though, because I don't have a car and don't intend to ever get one. And while uh, we no longer have car to go, uh, Lyft has been pretty good for us. However, this time around, uh, the Lyft driver was like, I can't fit everything. (laughs) Lyft, Lyft, Lyft in this instance was good for you. Not so good. For your Not other party. so good for my partner. Well, so I'm I'm gonna leave a few details out just because uh, you know Lyft is what it is, and it's it's a corporation. It's got regulations, and I don't want to uh, in, unintentionally incriminate myself. But dun, dun, uh, dun. <laughs> yeah, uh, good push of the button. Yeah. Uh, we ordered what was called a Lyft XL, which is like, you know, make sure they make sure to send like a larger vehicle, um, basically for, for times where we have, uh, a bigger load. Uh, we've used it a couple of times bringing furniture home. Uh, but yeah, so we used Lyft XL to get the bike to the airport thinking, oh yeah, there'll be plenty of room. Anna was going to come with me. She had to work that day anyway. Um, and yeah the guy came and he just he looked at the bike box and he's like there's no way there's no way it's gonna fit 
And I didn't. I actually didn't believe him. Hmm. <laughs> I was just like, just open the truck. We'll figure it out. And I, I was like all but shoving this thing into his like really nice Buick with the leather seats and everything. And I got my bike box like and I realized like, OK, yeah, he's he's probably trying to keep his vehicle a little bit nicer than than <laughs> I, <laughs> I would. But um, he ended up taking all of my stuff and me but he had to put all the all the stuff all the uh seats down and therefore anna couldn't come with us there wasn't room for Uh another passenger i've Uh, run into that um that's funny like the last time i ran into that issue was going from like i had oh what was it it was the night i flew out from india back to the states Mm -hmm. and um uber xl like that was just kind of what was in the cards for that night. Like I literally, I've used Uber once. I signed up for it because none of the, you can't actually request like a. Or at that time in India, they didn't have XL vehicles, um, and I had fit it in a rickshaw, but it wasn't the like. It it was a little precarious even at that. Um, and so <laughs> when I was like leaving the wedding party that had gotten me to India in the first place to like fly back to the states. We had to call three Ubers because, um, at least for a lot of the vehicles, like it's just smaller vehicles in India. And so an Uber XL is kind of just like our four-door sedan in some cases. So oh. it took like three <laughs> different people and they were like, ah, yes, this will fit it. <laughs> and at that time, the flight was like, you know, we had burned maybe half an hour, 45 minutes. And I was like, okay, I hope this third one works. Otherwise, uh, there's like people shuffling to like go get their own cars and like leave the wedding and like drive me there and i was like no i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure we can figure this out but um it's fun you know it's just like the category is defined but also ill-defined at the same time yeah yeah um it's worth noting small use case on my part but i've I've run into that in the one time i did order something that was xl uh i i kind of learned my lesson uh for the for the way back from the airport after I came back from Montana and you know, there's a portion where you can like um, just add some comments or notes uh, to the driver that's picking you up. And we said like, no, we have a bike in a box. Please have room for this. And uh, this guy who picked us up from the airport uh, actually seemed to know what he was doing. He like actually took the box out of my hands and had it in the payload of his vehicle. So Anyways, uh, again, pro tip for anybody who's uh, taking lift with their bike, maybe just put that in the notes. Got a bike. Yes. Um, okay, so we're we're catching up here. <laughs> we're just leaving um, in, on this ride. Just leaving civilization. We got onto Six Mile Road. This is about the time... Um, we start getting just a little bit of elevation gain. Yeah. Um, And uh, one thing I like about Google Maps is that it shows you sort of a little elevation graph. And I'm not going to say I didn't read it very well. (laughs) Because I I was looking right at it. I was reading, I was, I had read this. I had looked at it several times. What... I thought would be like, okay, this is just going to be a gradual climb and then like a really sharp drop towards the end. Like it's going to be like a lot of work, but then we're going to get this really cool reward at the end. (laughs) Uh, 
I didn't. I guess I just underestimated how much take that was going to that was going to be for us. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I'm looking at the graph right now. Yeah. And, I, and this is what I do remember is like we had this long gradual climb for quite a while, and then all of a sudden the last three miles went super steep. Oh yeah. And uh, where I thought we were going to be at the top. This was funny because I, too, didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the maps. I just knew what road num- names we needed to be on. And if we weren't, if we stayed on those, we were going to be fine. And that's all right. I really was worried about. Right. So I somehow convinced myself, like, 30 miles into this ride that in so many more miles, we'll be at the top at the pass. Oh, right. Yeah. And you had me, you had me going with you, too. I was totally convinced. And so, like... <laughs> In 12 more miles, we're going to be at the pass. In six more miles, we're going to be there. And I, I've got this down. I'm, I don't even know why. Just the different numbers we'd seen on the road signs, uh, how many more miles till road, the road numbers changed and until the pass, I was convinced that's where we needed. Yeah. I think I think we kind of psyched ourselves yeah, out the night off before. Off by three miles and a lot of climbs. Yeah. I think we psyched ourselves out yes. a little bit the night before in that, like – there I was going like over the satellite f- pictures, um, turn by turn, and I was like zooming in as far as it would let me. At this point, sure. after you turn off onto Six Mile Road, like the Google Streetcar just quits, so you have to go like aerial photos <laughs> the whole time. Um, and I'm like kind of writing down descriptions of what I see from the aerial photos, um, and I think in some way that sort of like psyched us out. It, and, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're you're and just the whole the national forest. I mean, it was so unknown. We didn't yeah. have much detail, like you said. yeah. But yeah, so you're counting down the miles, and and I don't know if we caught that. So what you're really counting down was was it like the uh, the mileage to the final turnoff? Yes, but I thought it was to the pass to the right. top. <laughs> It's a, we get to where I think we're like almost to the mile. Like we're here. And we, we come across this sign that says three more miles to the pass. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we're like, Love it. I remember very vividly you, you say like, okay, we got just, just another mile left. Do you find, um, so like I've bet definitely been in that circumstance myself and i try to like break it down into smaller increments so i think about like the next pedal stroke and then the next 10 or the next 100 or just like hey there's an interesting looking tree on my right i will focus on that tree and now i'm past that tree so now i'm going to find another tree to focus on like just those kind of like mental tricks especially when you're already just like ah son of a gun it is three miles off from what i thought it was going to be um, do you find yourself sort of like digging into different, I, I guess, like coping mechanisms when stuff like yeah. that comes up? Yeah, for me, as and especially since I, you know, this ride with Aaron and some some other rides since I've ridden with him, I've been doing more of these kind of climbs. Nothing as big as the one that Aaron and I did, but I've been doing some more. And it's like every switchback, like okay, I can see that switchback as soon as, and even sometimes it's before that. It's like oh, I can't see it yet, but it's Let's just go until I can see it. Oh, I can see it. Okay, now let's just get to that switchback. And 
maybe I give myself a break and maybe I don't. And this is part of, I think, uh, you know, almost somewhat, um, uh, I don't know if it's spiritual or not, but it's part of me. Like I'm less the person that has to just get there as quick as possible, which was me even like five years ago, two years ago. And I'm more the person of like, I don't care if I take the break of the switchback. I'm here to enjoy this ride. So if I can be like, let's just get to the switchback and then I'll take a break and even see what I can see from here. Cause at the next switchback, I'll be facing a whole different direction and that can be my next break to see what I can see from over there. So yeah, I can't do trees because here in Montana, that'd be like every uh, <laughs> three feet or even just less. Just all tree, especially that, that portion. Yeah. Um, right. At that portion, we were just in the thick woods of like, holy cow, you could, I couldn't tell if we were in a jungle or in the forest of Montana. Yeah, we were under a canopy, definitely, which in a way was was uh, a benefit in that it was possibly the hottest part of the day at that point. So and, yeah, and we, we were at least under, had shade. undercover. Yeah, yeah, uh, we were undercover for almost our whole climb, right? Oh yeah, definitely for yeah. the whole climb. Um, I I had a different approach. Okay, <laughs> and, and uh, this is. This is a a saying that has gotten me in trouble in the past, but and yet here I still stick to it. Um, it's it's something that um, that Anna often gets tired of hearing me say on bike rides, uh, and that is like, "There's no way out but through." Yeah, he kept saying that. He did say that <laughs> a lot of times. There's no way out but through, and so I was really, I don't know if if I communicated, I I. I know I couldn't hide it, but I tried not to be too disappointed or show that I was pretty disheartened when we got yeah. to the three mile marker where it said like you know uh, uh, Seagull Pass three miles, and then and then also like so there was the turnoff right there, and also seeing like you see the turnoff and then it's just so steep up you mm. don't see anything else outside of the turn. Um, no, we're in the deep woods. There's very little visibility just because of how thick the trees are. Yeah. And on top of that, it went up with a bunch of trees. So we didn't see how far that up was. And when the next turn was, we just saw we have three more miles and it looks a lot steeper than all the climbing we've done. (laughs) Yeah. That uh, that reminds me for some reason of a quote by Russ and I'm not I don't know if he's the originator of it. Uh, but he says, push biking, a time-honored tradition. Ah, uh, well. It's <laughs> like, oh, we, I've gotten to that point. <laughs> I'm just going to push. We did about a mile and a half of push bike. <laughs> we did some push biking, yeah. Nice. I'm not, yeah, uh, and I'm not ashamed of it. I mean, we. Oh, there's no shame in it. <laughs> it's, it uh, just happens. <laughs> right, right. But I would say two years ago, there would have been shame in that for me. I would uh, like, okay. I can't do that, but no, I was like, no, we're still getting there on our own, on our own free will and our own power. So uh, by, right. one of my highlights was, you know, as we're grueling through these three miles and we're probably two thirds into these three miles, so we're two, two miles, maybe even two and a half. And this guy in this Jeep is coming down. Like he came from Seagull Pass and he's coming down and he comes up on us and he's, I think he's got like a yellow lab in the back and he's a nice guy. He's, just stops me. Where are you guys coming from? And uh, I said, yeah, we're coming from Missoula. He had this like bewildered, unbelievable, <laughs> like 
how and why are you here mm. this far away? Because by then we're like 50 miles into our bike ride. We've put 50 miles in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, only 20 of those miles, the first 20 were really on cement. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is like one of those just kind of like, I find it a private joy when people express that. And you're you're just like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> I did. I, as a matter of fact, I did bike all this way on my own two legs. Thank you very much. Yep. Oh yeah, I was definitely. I felt the same way. You you get it, Guthrie. That's exactly how I was feeling. I was like, yes, I am that crazy, and I'm glad I am that crazy. <laughs> and we're not done yet. <laughs> it's a, a deep level of personal satisfaction. <laughs> uh, oh. Uh, yeah, it's... it's worth noting. So we, when we turned off the the uh, bike path, it was maybe paved road for I don't know a mile, two miles, and then it turned to like hard packed dirt, right? Um, and then gravel, and it was like the gravel got looser and looser the higher you went in elevation until it was just like like rocks the size of your head almost. Uh, that you're you're that are dotting the landscape so you know the last few miles of this climb it wasn't just you know going up this hill in some dirt or gravel road it was like going up this hill in this loose-ish gravel road but then also you had to pay attention to where your bike was in relation to like where the next big rock was in the road. Yes. Cause though, th- though it was loose gravel, there was rocks that were actually part of the mountain we were climbing and those were not going to move. Right. Your way. And <laughs> yeah. those were the ones you really had to worry about because they would stop your momentum if you were to hit them. And you, now you're like, ah, I gotta, I gotta get back to pedaling all over again yep. <laughs> from scratch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, to me, it's kind of like part of that was there's a beauty in that because there's the beauty of this is this is just us out there. We're not yeah. having to, you know, we we weren't fighting any other weekend warrior. <laughs> we, we had the whole place to ourselves besides two cars, really. Yeah. yeah. And there was a sense for me anyways, the fact that like, we're doing something by bike that possibly nobody else had done. And if anybody else had done it, like it'd be very few or years or years ago. Right. Yeah. 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 Very few or or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. I, I agree. I completely agree. Uh, And, and, you know, to that point, so I hit another national forest, um, so that one that Aaron and I did was northwest of us. Um, two weeks later, or on Fourth of July, on Fourth of July, I went with my friend um, Pete, and we did one actually just outside my back door, which would be um, like southeast. And for the whole entire time until we got back into the city limits of Missoula, we never saw another car or another bike or another anything. Cool, love and that. Yeah, and Pete and I said the same thing, Aaron, of like, you know what? I bet we're the only bikers in years who have done this route. And it was a real similar experience as far as like 
hard, hard switchbacks. We got to the top. The top was amazing. And the route was amazing. And to interject and like kind of probably ruining Aaron's uh, fears that he should talk about. (laughs) On this ride with my friend Pete, Aaron's biggest fear came true, only not on Aaron's ride. And that was as we were, as Pete and I were climbing, Pete stops me and says, Hey, there's a bear up there. Only he stops me for my attention. He doesn't stop pedaling. And I'm like, Pete, maybe (laughs) we should stop. It's this massive, huge brown bear with a head the size of a huge watermelon. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is it. And I'm like, uh, and my friend Pete is like nonchalantly continuing to pedal up the hill. And Pete, you've got to stop. And finally, the bear, I mean, we were lucky. The bear heard us, got spooked, and just took off. But he just wanted to just, my, my friend didn't want to stop where I think if it was Aaron and I, we probably would have. I would have had that can of of bear spray out and ready. Yeah, we both would have had our cans of bear spray out and maybe not moved for the next like two hours until we were sure that bear really did get spooked. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) How common is that out there? You know, this year it's pretty common. Um, It's usually common at the end of May, early June, when they're waking up and really famished or hungry and that's um but we've been getting a lot of reports uh this whole summer of people catch catching uh bears uh by surprise so even i mean uh, even like friends who maybe or i should say yeah friends friends of ours who we've known maybe not super close to but have like even um told other friends of ours like hey we just saw a bear on patty canyon which is like 10 miles from our house and that's I guess it's the uncommon part is how many times people have seen them. Now, I, I've seen one. I've had a friend of mine see one. And um, Glacier is getting a lot more sightings this year than other years. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I don't have a number for you just to say it's definitely an increase this year. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Com- completely unrelated. I was looking at bear bags online last night. And I was like, how you know how big of a thing is this? But I guess when it is, it is. It is, it is, yeah. And black bears are super common. It was like seeing that brown bear on my ride on the 4th of July. That's uncommon to where we were at. Um, okay. Yeah, and okay. So that surprised me, yeah, how big it was and and that it was not a black bear. Because black bears can spook easy if they're not with their cubs. Brown bears, you just never know. It's kind of like a crapshoot. Like, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully he spooks. Hopefully it's just a male by himself without kids and not hungry. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It's a lot of about right. <laughs> uh, and I think we talked about it in the last one when we jumped in last one. But I mean, Aaron was pretty nervous about bears until my daughters convinced him that there's also mountain. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what about the cougars? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, you don't have to worry about bears. It's the mountain lions because they're the ones that'll ambush you. They'll just yeah, attack from the tree. They'll actually hunt you down quiet and silent. So. <laughs> Well, we should get, um, uh, I'm trying to remember, Sebastian Poole put someone in contact with us who has oh, a yeah. presentation on cougars, and uh, I haven't followed it up yet, but it is in the brain hopper. That might be a might be a fun check-in as well, because we, the, the cougar thing comes up, uh, and I think the same is true here in Oregon, right? It's like, yeah, you, you're not worried about bears. Uh, we don't really have moose, at least as far as I know, am aware of. 
Um, but yeah, cougars, that can be a thing or is, is more of a thing. Uh, yeah. You're not a trail yeah. runner up on Mount Hood, Aaron, so you're you're probably okay. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, as far as as far as the wildlife goes, it did uh keep me up that previous night, um, knowing that we would be so far away from any uh town or city for so long. Um uh, and then And we uh, were, right? I mean there was no oh, yeah. civilization. Yeah. Um but once we got going and once I had a few miles under me, honestly, I'd forgotten all about it until we started seeing uh, uh, scat from various animals. And yeah. even then, at that point, it seemed more as like a matter of fact as, as opposed to like, oh, no, some, some's out there that's going to eat me. Yeah. Uh, and in a way, I was almost more fascinated seeing that like, oh, that might possibly be a pile of bear scat that's definitely a pile of moose scat over there i was mostly fascinated with like oh wow yeah we're that far out this is really cool Mm. and that's like a that's like a neat learning opportunity as well um because like i i don't know like just knowing what scat looks like and knowing the composition and what bears eat what and there's like the classic boy scout joke where like how do you know what bear scat looks like well look for boy scout bells um <laughs> y- y- you know stepping aside from that as scat it, it in its own can actually be like an incredibly useful skill and a very interesting like avenue to experience the outdoors in um and in addition to being like holy shit we're out here being like oh yeah holy shit this yeah. shit's cool <laughs> uh <laughs> you know if 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 there's time and space and that to do with it um knowing knowing what it looks like being able to gauge freshness all of that can really come in handy sometimes in terms of making decisions out in those areas yeah i yeah. i think if i had a sense that any of it looked fresh and to me none of it did of course uh, i'm very much yeah i'm very much an amateur uh yeah none of it looked all that fresh if any of it looked fresh maybe my reaction might be different um but uh along the same lines of being so far out there were times where like we're on a switchback or something and you can just see for miles and miles and miles because there there's like a break in the trees and you're up on this literal mountain and you just see for so far under like everything underneath you it was really cool yeah 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 that no that that part is i think what got me more than anything so is is those different switchbacks and that's i think what i was trying to get at. i'm like hey if i if if this was me five years ago i probably would have missed those to just be like nope i gotta get to the top i gotta get to the top i'll you know i'll do those switch i'll I'll stop and look later yeah well it wasn't later because we weren't coming back that way (laughs) (laughs) right right so we did finally reach the top we did push bike i would say for a mile mile and a half maybe um that last that last bit um and that was actually your suggestion i wasn't willing to admit defeat but (laughs) i i am glad that you pushed me to push my bike as opposed to uh uh humor me and continue to to pedal on yeah well that's you know 
you're young. You'll you'll learn the way. <laughs> old guys like me. <laughs> well, it's it's worth knowing. Spoken like, like a true older brother. <laughs> it's worth noting, like you've done you've done more um, uh, endurance activities. You've you've done marathons, half marathons. You even yeah. did a triathlon at one point, like you probably can recognize your own limits in yourself. And so by extension can probably recognize when other people have reached their limit. Uh, yeah. No, thanks, Aaron. Um, and I honestly, yes, all the things that you just mentioned, but really that hundred mile bike ride that I did in Idaho taught me so much about um, calorie deficiency, dehydration, oxygen i mean and you were you showed all the classic signs of what i was going through on my ride when i was doing that 100 miles and you know that oxygen deficiency i think we took for granted during the ride yes till the next night or or till that night when Mm. it was all over you know i i live at 33 3400 feet you live at zero or 50 it's 100 i looked it up last week (laughs) okay Oh, thanks. There you go. But yeah, and and I had just arrived, what, like uh, two days or, yeah, two nights before that. Two nights before. We had had kind of a casual ride the day before. But there's no way in two days you're getting your body or your blood ready for for the altitude difference. And then we're climbing another 2,000 feet on top of the 3,300 feet where we started from. And, and you, you know, because I was used to that oxygen, I could, you know, really take a step back and see the forest for the tree, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Aaron's having the ride I had in Idaho where like, it doesn't feel like anything's going right. Mm-hmm. And really what he needs is calories because I can't fix the altitude, but he needs calories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, especially so like you, you kind of got the double whammy too. I should clarify it's a hundred where I live. It's fifty for the city of Portland. Uh, in terms I'm somewhere of in between. anybody who's going to write in on an angry email of like you're off <laughs> by fifty feet. Uh, so you know, lack of sleep, uh, the acclimation period. It's I can't remember what the numbers are, but this is something that we talk about in outdoor school all the time. It's just like if you're going to go climb up hood, right? You're gonna you're you're coming from fifty feet, or you're coming from a hundred feet, and whatever relative difference that is, um, the first two 24 hours or 48 hours you can achieve like 40 to 60 percent acclimation um but you got to be well rested and you've you've got to be like that's that's at like peak functioning i guess for like any individual um and then you know the the rest of it comes after you know weeks and weeks and weeks and so that kind of thing especially like pushing your body um you'll get a little bit of it but like you're fighting all of these other factors and that's why acute mountain sickness especially for folks that go out and just say like, all right, I'm here. You know, if you're going to go do um, like climbing in the Rockies or something like that from, from sea level, uh, you got to be really careful about that and, and to know yeah. um, kind of what those things look like. And it doesn't sound like it was as much of an extreme, but um, you know, there's definitely been cases where it's like, Hey, you know, you, you, you should go down because otherwise what you're feeling right now, it, it won't go away. It will get worse. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you both made it. <laughs> Yes, well, glad we both made it totally. And yeah. and I I think it's worth admitting my own um, 
I don't know if hubris is the right word. I'm going to use it. Uh, hubris around like uh, what I would call like sport food. You know, uh, I guess uh, nutrition bars can fit into this category, but like the goos and and things like that. Um, I'm very much of the camp of like I get my calories from food and uh, uh, nutrition bars are like maybe the compromise for that because, you know, you also want to compact. Um, but we had gotten to the top and Tito was like, look, you really need to have this goo. It's got caffeine. It's got glucose. It's exactly what your your body is needing right now. Um, and so I kind of, I kind of swallowed my pride and I, I went ahead and took that and, um, it was like, like a switch got flipped in my brain. Um, yeah, you definitely changed right away mm-hmm. and we're like back on earth, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> like, that, that was your brain's way of saying, I'm angry. <laughs> I need something. <laughs> Well, and, and I learned from, from, I mean, really just from the learned at the hard weight, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the last person to finish that ride, that hundred mile ride. And I had the guy in a Subaru following me to make sure I wasn't going to dive back there in the copper basin. And he's throwing, uh, not literally throwing, but figuratively throwing jelly beans at me. And what else? Something else that was really nasty. That was the same thing it was I was trying to do to Aaron. I was like, you just need some cheap calories to get going. And I figured knowing my brother being a caffeine freak that the extra 20 milligrams of caffeine would be a oh, good yeah. too for him. So, yeah. yeah, I think you even mentioned like all you had was like the coffee in your thermos on the way here. Like you usually drink more than that without <laughs> exercise. <laughs> or in the sleep deprivation, etc. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Add all this in. Yeah. See, it's that's see it's all about it's all about the perception. If you were to tell Aaron, <laughs> hey Aaron, this is coffee in a tube and you can eat three of these tubes and it's like you had four cups of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say line me up. <laughs> I should have said it that way, got three. <laughs> that would have been perfect. Uh so, so we um, get to the top. Yeah, yeah. And now the hard part starts. <laughs> <laughs> what what we thought was supposed to be the reward, right? It, it's supposed <laughs> to be the reward is is the downhill. Oh uh, my goodness! The I'm only being partially was... facetious because it it was really fun. There was a there was a point where I like I got into my groove. I was purposefully like bouncing off these rocks and catching air on my bike. Um, there was a couple times where I had to stop and make sure like you were still behind me because I had just let gravity do all the work. But uh, that first, what, 15 minutes, maybe, if even that, maybe even 10 minutes was, uh, are, are we sure we're like, <laughs> we're ready for this? Because <laughs> we had we had started going downhill and it was so steep. We had pulled over and our hands were already cramping up. Yeah. Yeah. My hands were sore in that first 10 minutes. Like, oh my goodness, this is going to be a long ride if every 10 minutes we've got to stop. Yeah. Rest our hands. But I think we were just taken off guard because we didn't have to stop as often that often. I think we stopped like maybe two more times before we got to the bottom. It was pretty fun. It was crazy. It was more, the gravel was even more loose on that backside or on the downhill side. Yeah. Um, And then there was the time where my 
front tire was one. Oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. We had, we didn't even know. We just broke. Oh. We just, we just stopped for a break. Yeah. Um, some water, bathroom, calories, and what? What was it? Uh, you had just kind of like moved your bike. Up, I just was playing around a little bit, you know just kind of like a nervous habit. I pick up my handlebars and let the front tire just kind of bounce on its own off of gravity on the road. And it goes to do that. And I see the whole wheel is wobbling back and forth while it's kind of bouncing, you know, oh. one, two, three, four times. <laughs> all wobbly. That gives me well, some flashbacks. <laughs> I would say we're about a third down the mountain at this point. Yeah, we're probably a third down the mountain. I'm like, what? So get off my bike. And my quick release is completely loose. Oh, it's man. Not, oh. It's, it's not undone. It looks like it's done, but it's super loose. Like nothing's – like one more hit and that wheel's coming off. Oh, yeah, man. If I was still <laughs> so, Like that's like the luckiest moment <laughs> of our bike ride. It, yeah. If there's ever an argument to be made for through axle. Uh, I, oh, I, I mean, the like, same thing can happen on through axle, but in a different – in a different breakdown process. <laughs> oh yeah. I can empathize with oh. that. It is always just kind of like clenching to have that moment of realization. And you're like, Oh wow. Oh yeah. wow. <laughs> I've, been, I've been trusting my life to this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and your, your bike took a lot of abuse on that, on that downhill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And our brakes were probably used more on that downhill than probably the previous two days of just riding around in general. Right. Um, For sure. And so something about just the amount of, of torque that is happening on that disc rotor at that speed and then just all the jarring, I'm sure just things just eventually loosen. Mm -hmm. You had the, the wheel eventually like, kind of just askew in the in the dropouts but not enough to really notice until we were stopped until we were stopped i just decided to play with my bike just a nervous habit yeah and well so fast forward to my ride pete and on fourth of july on our downhill literally we didn't even get down same kind of thing like five ten minutes i was like pete we got to stop i've got to check my front wheel <laughs> <laughs> i know i checked it before the ride started but now that we're going downhill on this gravel, we gotta check this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm paranoid. It's. I think like that. Such if 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 I'm ever to be one like pro that's pro paranoia, I think that's one of the avenues where it's like, please be as paranoid paranoid as you would like uh, when it comes to front quick release type stuff. Woo! I mean, like I. I'm I'm even having that issue on my bike right now where I have like a security skewer that's technically rated for disc and I just went I've had it on about a week and a half, two weeks now, and I went to check it two days ago and it's loose. And I'm like so just you know, whatever amount of paranoia you feel like is unhealthy, if it is specifically in regards to front front quick release, it's probably not too paranoid. It's actually probably just enough paranoid. Uh so like keep that dream alive of, of checking <laughs> checking those kinds of things um it'll it'll make a difference in the long run it should be some public service announcement mm-hmm. oh yeah check the quick release i uh 
I the longer I ride, the longer I check my bike about every time I go out these days. Uh, or at least every week or so. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. That was that was a freaky moment. That was a pretty yeah. pretty insane moment. Mm-hmm. The first time that ever happened to me, I was back in high school and my dad had this old, old, like five speed Schwinn from the seventies or whatnot. Um and I would ride to school on it down this large hill that uh, the school is kind of down below and had these like rises and bumps and you could kind of like almost catch air if you were going like 30 or 35 miles an hour. So I'm jetting down there at like 7.30 in the morning. And we have those really terrible bike racks at school where it's just a bunch of like slots and you kind of lift your bike up to put oh, the, yeah. the front wheel in the slot. Like your classic would never want to lock my bike to that thing ever again um, bike rack. And my distinct memory is lifting my bike up and putting the fork in the thing because the wheel had come out. And oh, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that may be fortunate to have, like, a good experience with learning that lesson early. But, yeah, I think that I'll, I'm just going to restate it for the record. There are a few things you can be more paranoid about that are better for you than being paranoid about your front quick release if you've got one <laughs> so that's that's some game-changing shit right there <laughs> <laughs> or game ending in a way yes totally. <laughs> so um you know you got to the hard part and then you got to your destination um i'm assuming you spent a bit of time there and that it was like catching up with family or a friend of friends yeah we we made it to my in-laws house um and what was oh i guess it was father's day and so he had grilled he had grilled dinner on the on his traeger it was which it was ribs so um yeah we had we had family so we had my wife's cousins there we had my family there we just all hung out he also is raising uh, puppies for other ranchers and so he just had a litter of nine puppies so everybody was playing with border collies right Yes, border collies. Yep. Yeah. I often cross those up with Australian shepherds. Yeah, very, very similar to each other. Almost a lot of times look alike, a lot to each other. Yeah. And he has a, maybe also to give people perspective hearing this. So Plains is a little town of a thousand people. He lives five miles outside of this tiny little town. So we're kind of by ourselves again for the afternoon, just being with family, but no like city life. And it's on his ranch with cows. He's got sheep. Now he has a goat. He has horses. He's got these nine puppies he's raising and um, and 160 acres. So it's very, you know, we, we, we get done and we get to really truly just relax and do nothing but eat and, yeah. <laughs> eat and drink. So, <laughs> Well, Tito, speaking of drinking, do you yeah. know who has great places you can go to not sit right now but get things that you can then go sit elsewhere and drink (laughs) i do and it's it's a place that's on my bucket list to see the next time i'm able to be in portland with my brother what what would that place be by chance well that that place is called the beer mongers I wish I could tell you where it is. I believe it might be on a road called Division. Is that right? Southeast 12th and Division. That is correct. Uh, I had one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I, 
<laughs> and it just Dirt. so happens I am drinking a Wildland kombucha purchased from that very institution. Excellent. How's it? How's it treating you today? Uh, the mint lemonade is perfect on a hot day like this. Mm-hmm. And yes. it has been hot here in Portland. I am having a free range red by Laurelwood Brewing Company, also of Portland, Oregon. Nice. Uh, decide to switch it up today and go with a red instead of an IPA. I'm I'm unashamedly having a Diet Coke from Atlanta, Georgia. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> I mean, you've, uh, you've gone with the macro brew option. I see. <laughs> I did I went with the macro brew only because there's not a beer mongers in Missoula, or I would have had something much better to to show off. All, all you guys good. do have a couple decent bottle shops, though, and a few good breweries. If I remember from the last time Ben was there with me, yes, we have some really good breweries who I would say have great. We yes, we. We should have a show where we just talk about Missoula breweries because they exploded. <laughs> they exploded, and every time a new one shows up, you're like, "Oh, it's not going to make it because there's too many here," and it makes it. Uh, and then another one shows up, like, "No way, there's still too many here. It's got to fold, and it doesn't fold. It still makes it." So <laughs> you've yeah, not hit your it. saturation point. Yeah, you'd think we would. Evidently, yep. we, yeah, we still are going to go see them all. So well, it took- we like the classics and we like the new ones. Nice. It took it took Portland, you know, in like some cases here and there, but I think what was it 110 breweries or something like that to hit saturation. So I'm not uh, sure what Missoula's at. Uh, well, but we're in a smaller town. We're probably at 12. But okay, we, we think that saturation when we're a town of like 60,000 people. Yeah, <laughs> to that you'd be you'd be not off the mark. I think Portland's right, what like yeah. 700,000 or something like that. Last yeah. last. I, well, we'll see. That that's. That'll be the interesting thing about when the census results come through. Um, yes. Thanks, as always, to the Beer Mongers for your very, very long-standing support. Uh, thanks for showing up to the work you do. and Thanks for figuring out a way to allow people to come get excellent beer from a local monger here in Portland. Um, yes. They have supported this show for I don't even know how long, but gosh dang it if if we aren't happy and uh thankful for that support so to the beer mongers to the beer mongers i'm i'm already done my camera's not working today but i'm raising my (laughs) my chalice of laurelwood brewing company free range nice um so on the ride on the ride back hung out you know hung out with the extended family and such um did you ride back on the same route we, we we did cheated. not ride back. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is this this is the part we edit? <laughs> nah, you keep it nah, it's fine. No, no. Uh, that is okay. Bike, yeah, we had a bike rack on my wife's car, and so we we hitched a ride back. Well played. Missoula. Well played. Yeah. <laughs> um. So well. looking in, into that experience, um, you know, that was the first time the two of you had had a chance to connect um on a ride of that length it sounded like yeah was there or were there any lessons learned anything that surprised you uh anything that you would do differently or recommend for somebody doing similar Mm. my recommendation would be bring more water than you think unless you really unless you uh, have a water filter and know where there's going to be fresh water showing itself. 
Yeah, we forgot to talk about that part. We had run out of water pretty much as soon as we hit Queen Quins. Quins, yeah. So yeah. we still had another fifteen miles, twenty miles to go after that. Yeah. So fortunately there was a stop between Quins and, and Plains where we stopped in Paradise and we got a big tall glass of water and a Coke for each of ourselves. So Yeah. Yeah. But we had we were kind of on on a on a razor's edge there as far as uh, water. You yeah. had taken what was it about two liters, and then I had, I had three two plus my forty eight ounce. No, no, it wasn't forty eight. Like twenty four ounce water bottle. Yeah, and I think so. each one of my water bottles are like twelve ounces, and I only had three of those. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good point about the water. You. You don't really think you need it for a day trip, but uh, when you're pushing that hard, um, it was really surprising and, and it, that I went through it yeah. so quickly. And we didn't have gas stations or cities or any stops in between. There was nothing to like, hey, we'll just fill up over here. There, there's nothing like that. Right. Yeah. Were there um, streams and such about? Yes, but not easy to get to. You would have yeah. had to like climb down and get to them so yes we could have gotten it if like we were in dire needs but you don't want to just drink it you need to filter that water yep definitely unless you've you've got the giardia pills just hanging out at the ranch (laughs) right exactly (laughs) not recommended not an official sprocket (laughs) podcast recommendation (laughs) if there's a if there is a silver lining to one day rides it's even if giardia happens it only yeah. happens in the front country. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> when you come back from your one day ride. <laughs> Not recommended. Um, we should do a whole episode. I so I've recently been, recently been looking at water filtration cuz I feel like it's one of those aspects of being out in the woods that never really has a clear definitive answer to me. Um so that might be an interesting episode. If anybody or if any of our listeners have very firm beliefs about ways to treat and or manage or handle water on tour, write us, let us know. Uh, the Sprocket Podcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. I kind of in, in this inter- like eternal cyclical fashion about water and sometimes i do i'm like sweet i've got three bottles it's a day ride whatever i'll be fine and i end up like yourself which is like oh shit it's halfway through and i'm out of water i I should have thought about this differently uh um and at the same time i'm like all the all the methods and i've used so many of them over the years they're they're always adequate but they're never stellar and um that that might be a fun discussion to have sometime if if anybody yeah. has Ooh. some opinions yeah. on water filtration or any, uh, sanitation. Any water filtration experts in our listener base? Uh, we would love to talk to you about this. Indeed. Yeah, I'd love to hear even different thoughts, um, mm-hmm. just to hear you know what one person would do over another person. Now you've done a you've done a little bit of like camping and and hiking. Have you ever used a water filter, Tito? Yeah, mine has kind of gotten old, but yeah, I used it a lot um, when I was in college and in my early married days, just where I really would only bring as much water as I really wanted to carry, not what I needed for the whole two or three days, and then just filtered all the time. Mm. So I had like a pure brand water filter. Is that what it was? Yeah. 
and it was it was perfect. But it was made for like the Nalgene's back in the day. So oh, yep, yep, yep. You would put the one end in the stream or in the pond, and then it, you put the other end. It would just fit over top of your Nalgene and just start pumping uh, away. Mm-hmm. It was like a boy. Don't quote me. Well, yes, you can quote me. I guess it was like a 200 micron kind of filter. So it was meant to keep you from having the Giardia or Montezuma's Revenge, whatever you wanted to call it. All those lovely cryptosporidium. I've I've never had much experience with it. Um, Fortunately, I guess. Uh, The one time that we used water from um, it was a culvert, actually. Uh, We had iodine tablets. Um, and at at that point, we were so desperate for for water. I didn't care what it tasted like. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I don't even have any real memory of what it what the whether or not the water was different than any other water. Mm. It was just water at that point. But you didn't you didn't get sick or anything from it. No. There was a time I did a hike when I was in Mexico. This was like uh, my senior year of high school. And I got so desperate for water that I went to this kind of natural spring. And the um, the locals were drinking from it. And I figured, why can't I? And I did. And I got sick for days. I think I even had to go to the doctor. And, you know, this is typical because this is how I grew up is whenever you go to the doctor in Mexico, you get a shot. And I got a shot. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter what you were in for you're gonna get a shot for you're sure. gonna get a shot exactly yeah. <laughs> oh wow <laughs> i don't know what was in it but i got a shot for it and i remember being sick oh yeah i i made light of giardia but it is not something that anybody should wish upon themselves or others <laughs> it is an unpleasant thing to have yes. no doubt much yeah. unpleasantness I I could totally go down the rabbit hole, but we're at about an hour and twenty, so maybe we should save. Maybe we will save the uh, filtration discussion if oh, it yeah. hasn't been meted out yet on the Sprocket Podcast for a, an upcoming episode. I'll, I'll, I'll make a n- mental note for the next time Guthrie and Aaron shoot the shit to talk about filtration. <laughs> if not, let us know your opinions and and what she w- we should talk about. I think I think I found a clear winner within the pack, but it's taken literally until. 2020 for it to be released in 2016 and then proven for the last four years that it's not a piece of crap uh so i'm hopeful (laughs) but i am not convinced so (laughs) yay for yay for water filtration right on um tito thank you so much for joining us this eve it's been an absolute pleasure to have you and congratulations on your first inaugural appearance on Thanks. the Sprocket Podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's not too boring for your listeners. Nah. Um, it was good. It was fun to be on. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No, no need to put yourself down. Part. I'm sure it will be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. You as well. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you would like to share if anybody's looking to connect with you? It, and this is completely optional. Um, for for some folks to get a hold of you or uh, anything that we missed that you want to put out there before the conclusion of the episode? Any um, product of yours that you want to plug? <laughs> I have nothing. The only thing I would push is, you know, what I was talking a little bit about with the different rides I've been doing before and after Aaron's is 
I just encourage anybody to go find a national forest and go get on the ride if they're, you know, there's, you know, prepare yourself, but go enjoy the journey. There's some beautiful roads that nobody's touching right now. So that would be the one thing I would push. So right if on. they want and they have questions about national forests around me, they can email me. Should I give, can I give an email? Is that all right? Yeah, if you, if you feel like putting that public, go As, as long as you're okay yeah. receiving email, yeah. feel oh, free I, to give I've an email. email <laughs> yeah, I've got an email address they can use that I check and I can see, I mean, right on there. Hey, need some help. Uh, so it's T Flores, N-L-I, and there's a long story between that. So Nancy Lion Indigo at gmail.com. So if you uh, right want any ideas about some National Force Service road rides around me, let me know. Cool. Send me. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Hi, you're welcome. Thanks. It's so nice to out. meet you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you, you're um, welcome to hang around for our news and headlines. Of which we have no news. We have none. Or mail. Um, or, or nothing. We'll... we'll <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going straight to the outro Straight now. to the outro. Well, you know, <laughs> and this is this is the real, the real, I guess, benefit of being a guest is you get to suggest a topic, theme, and or semblance, sensation, or otherwise, <laughs> a svelte in which you would like us to read the outro credits. And with that, I always offer a mulligan you can simply just say read the outro credits and that is fine oh wow i was so taken back the last time when i saw this happen and occur how about the outro credits in the um any musical theme well how's that i'll do Mm. my best i will i will attempt to emulate my fair lady with Eliza Doolittle as played by Audrey Hepburn, but voiced and lip synced by uh, the singer who did it on Broadway, whose name I can't remember right now. Uh, I'll give no it my best shot. This is all. <laughs> I'm totally at a loss right now. I have no idea what this is going to sound like. I I played trivia with my mom and her sister. Okay. Uh, this Friday, and uh-huh. it was a musical trivia. There was a musical trivia round, and I was just like either. I like very particular musicals or I have not been into musicals for like 40 years in terms of the contemporary machinations. Okay. I will use uh, one of my mom's favorite musicals, not West Side Story. Uh, I will use Fiddler on the Roof's Tradition. I will read read in that style. All right. And I'm going to do like early, early, early play, early show Eliza Doolittle just for for the record here. All right. So this is perfect because I was thinking of my mom when I said this. But (laughs) and so Aaron has picked the perfect one for mom. But Guthrie, you've picked probably one of my grandmother's favorites as well. Yeah. Hey. You're making my night. Sweet. Greenwich ladies represent. We'll, yeah. We'll do our best here. <laughs> Alright. I'm only I'm staying on the one song though. And probably only like the first three notes of that song. <laughs> Alright, you ready for this, Aaron? <laughs> right, let's as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> it does say Aaron reads non bold, so I'll follow your lead. <laughs> Sounds good. Alright. Here we go. The Sprocket Podcast! It's produced at X-Ray FM Studios, only it's not. It's done on Zoom. 
No. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagram, that's Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Her bird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to sustaining donors, Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson, Cameron Lane, Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney. Oh, I could do the verses. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss, Tom Ka- Parker, Dan Gebhardt, who's a time traveler. Chris Smith, Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Cooley, Peanut Butter, Jar, Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna, who's Un- looking at me strangely, Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G, Guthrie Straw, Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons, and founder of the Regranary, Caps. Said McNurse, David Nathan Porton, Rory in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, David Billy, Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, E.J. Finneran, Brad Hipwell, Thomas Gado, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam, Jason Offenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Sean <laughs> Barron, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite, Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna, Matthew Rooks, Marshall, Paula at Funatake Cyclecraft, Philip M. Spartandale, no relation, Mr. T, who never really left. Bike Initiative, Kiwana, Sarah G. Adam D. Go dig a hole, Beth Hammond. <coughs> Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. Isaac and David Christensen, 503. Byron Patterson and JT. And our newest donor, Kirsten Graham. And to all of our former <coughs> donors who've helped us get this far. Now wash your hands! <laughs> And wash wear your, hands. your mask. <laughs> wash your hands. And wear your mask. <laughs> awesome. <And> go to bed. <laughs> go to bed. Thanks, Tito. Great, guys. That made my night. See awesome. ya. <laughs> Good night.